Welcome to the first official podcast of the Fish On podcast, where we talk about all things fishing. If you're watching this live on YouTube, or if you're watching the VOD later on, or if you're listening in on your favorite podcast streaming software, thanks for tuning in. Tonight, uh, we've got a great episode. Uh, of course, I'm joined by my friends Adam and Ben. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing great. Doing stellar. My stomach is actually not doing that great, but I'm oh, going to just sorry. power through it. <laughs> You're a trooper, man. I, uh, I just chugged Buckley's straight from the bottle because I have a bit of a stuffy <laughs> nose. So. <laughs> right on. Yeah, uh, yeah hopefully. That might help. I think Buckley's is for your stomach, but nice try. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this is cold and flu, cold and flu Buckley's. Oh, sorry, Buckley's. I'm thinking Pepto-Bismol. I'm, so. <laughs> I'm the one with the stomach problem. <laughs> yeah, I got my medicines mixed up. Anyways, so um, introductions. We'll start with you, Ben. Uh, I, I'm Ben. I'm from Conjuring Rock, a YouTube channel. Uh, I do camping and fishing videos, and I also work for Frontenac Outfitters doing their uh, videos and multimedia, digital media marketing stuff. Wow, I just totally messed that up. Adam? <laughs> My name is Ben, and I'm from Conjuring Rock. And oh, sorry, excuse me. I thought we were doing a video. Uh, uh, I'm Adam, as my channel suggests on YouTube. Adam's Real Adventures. I do real adventures, no fake adventures for me. And uh, I, I guess you could call me a content creator. I, I suppose that's something that I do. That's all. I'm, everything else is secret, so I'm not sharing anything else. You're always hiding spots. You got to keep them interested. Uh, and Mr. Jeff, why don't you introduce yourself? Yes, so I'm Jeff. My YouTube channel is Limestone Fishing, and uh, everything you can find me at Limestone Fishing on uh, Instagram and Facebook as well. And if you're watching this live stream, then you know that this is my YouTube channel. So I do all season fishing from my boat, from my kayak, and from the uh, on top of the ice. Yeah, that's me. I'd hate to see you fish under the ice, man. That'd be rough. Uh, there wouldn't be much fishing being done if I was underneath the ice. It is It'd a, be fishing it's an, you out of the water. That's what we'd be doing. <laughs> it's an enormous fear of mine. And uh, actually, uh, not so much out of the ice, but that's something that we're going to talk about later on, uh, about cold water and safety once we get a little bit into this podcast. But before we get into that, I wanted to uh, ask you guys about your most recent trip. You guys just did some backcountry camping pretty recently. Why don't you uh, tell our viewers about that, viewers and listeners? Ben, you you start. Uh, okay. Well, we uh, we plan to go out and do some fall camping, and uh, we are heading out in the Corth region uh, for some crown land. Uh, just a nice paddle in kind of lake, no portages, a uh, pretty easy access, kind of once you know the little gem. And uh, yeah, our, our plan was to do some fall camping and search for some fall walleye. That's what we were really trying to do. This was the Had honey it. hole. We had high hopes. <laughs> yeah, we did. Very big hopes. Yeah. Um, fishing was tough, uh, but um, we camped there. We stayed there for two nights and we fished as much as we could. Uh, we learned some things, but we just couldn't, we couldn't put any fish in the boat. And, you know, that's kind of how things go when you're fishing this time of year. It, it can be really tough, especially if you don't really know what you're doing. Like Ben and I were doing something that neither one of us are particularly confident in. 
so we paid the the price i suppose but we had a great trip like camping was awesome it was it was cold but we had good fires we had good food uh as well which was awesome that was beautiful i thought we talked about not interrupting each other ben and talking over each other i i I thought we just talked about that that. Uh, so we had a good time otherwise. Um, ben always has a good time when he hangs out with me. I do it out of pity, but um, you know, I make do. <laughs> awesome. Well, it sounded like it sounds like you guys had a great time. And uh, there's something oh, else. Uh, just another thing on that. Sorry, sorry, Jeff. It was funny because the spot we were in, we had cell sec signal. So the first night, the Friday night, we actually like video chatted with you, Jeff. We were talking with you around the fire, and Ben and I were saying like. It would be super funny if we set up a chair and just put the phone with you on it and you could like hang around the fire with us. It would have been cool, but then like, I can pretend time. like you guys invited me this time. <laughs> uh, it's like a hot toddy, gave you a hot drink, you know, with a little whiskey. Yeah. I'll just be sitting be nice. in my computer chair at home crying because I can't reach it. Uh, it's a it's a recurring like theme that. that these two go camping and they don't invite me. I'm not part of the part of the cool kids club. The cool kids camping oh. club. <laughs> uh yeah we should do better ben we should do better we should. Yeah. But look, way to call us out on live chat in in we fairness <laughs> in fairness even if you had invited me i probably wouldn't have been able to go so i i oh so well, i just like to right. give you guys our time feel guilty for <laughs> no no good reason so that's all that's all well and good but uh maybe some someday maybe someday i'll get to go camping with you guys but uh in other news if you're lucky. If I'm lucky, yeah. In other news, Ben, you've got some pretty cool news on another podcast. Why don't you tell us about that? Uh, yeah, so recently I was uh, featured on the Ugly Pike podcast, which was pretty incredible and mind-blowing. Um, and it was a pretty cool experience as well. I've been listening to the podcast for a while, so it was kind of a little surreal to be talking to the voices that I've been hearing coming through my car and then them talking back to me. It was it was interesting. But yeah, so they had me on the Ugly Pike podcast because I shot that video and included them in my story because their the Ugly Pike podcast was kind of part of my my musky fishing story, essentially. They they really got the fire lit and uh made me want to chase these musky and and also gave me the confidence to be able to do that and and g- gave me the knowledge to try and chase them. So anyways, I, yeah, I was featured on that, which was pretty awesome uh i was yeah quite surprised by that and just want to give a huge thanks to uh chris and frank for having me on that was that was special that was awesome yeah it it was a good episode too man and i've listened to the ugly pike podcast before like a, a couple of times but i listened to to both of those episodes because they split it up into two parts right and uh it was super engaging the the way that you you told their story on the podcast very very much replicated the way you told the story in your video and and those two guys man lot of stuff they know a lot yeah. of stuff so uh, if you haven't heard of the ugly pike podcast podcast um i recommend going to check that out as well it's uh it's very entertaining those guys are funny as heck too <laughs> yeah yeah they're great a couple of canadian guys I, I think they're both canadian yeah i i think so I, I hear them talk about how they travel out of niagara area Go to like the Kawarthas and the Georgian Bay and all that stuff. The thing that's nice about a show like that is those guys just seem like super down to earth. Like they just seem like regular dudes that, you know, you might fish with, um, which is cool. Yeah. 
they yeah, don't, absolutely. They don't talk like you know. I don't know. I appreciate that. They don't talk over each other when they're talking and stuff. Yeah, you guys, you guys could learn a lot from them. So. <laughs> yeah, we could probably learn a, t- a thing or two, probably. Yeah, you you could. We'll use that as our segue into the topic of today, um, because when you're fishing for muskie, you don't want to do it when it's too hot, right? That's a pretty dangerous to the fish. So usually it's really early after ice out or like when the season opens and really late in the in the year before the ice comes. I don't know. I've I've never targeted muskie, but uh, is that does that sound about correct there, Ben? Uh, yeah, kind of. Uh, people will still still target them in the warmer waters. It's okay. Like some people are. Well, uh, it's it's actually a big argument in the muskie community right now, um, and they're doing studies in uh, in the states on different lakes, um, releasing muskies at different temperatures, and then uh, tracking the survivability rate of those fish. Uh, yeah, that's actually an ongoing study right now. The the but the common belief, the belief right now is that if you fish for muskie in water temperatures that are that's 80 degrees Fahrenheit or warmer, uh, it's supposed to be detrimental to the fish, much more difficult on the fish for the revival when you do catch and release. That's uh, that's kind of the belief right now. But some of the studies are starting to recommend that maybe that's not the case, but it's like pre- they're in the preliminary stages right now. They're the early stages, so it's, it's hard to say. But... Yeah, typically, you know, this time of year, the fall, is uh, the time when the big fish come out. It's the same with, like, a lot of the species, right? You know, you chase fall walleye, because that's when the big big girls come out. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, same with the fall muskie. That's when you're, you're have, you stand a better chance at getting a big, a big girl. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully... Unless uh... you're Ben. What? I mean, who caught a muskie that day, Adam? Was, did you? I, I don't think you did. I, no, no. Remember, I told you I was like, dude, if you go that way, there's a fish over there for you. I'm just gonna go this way and catch some bass. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. you were you were sick of fishing for muskie. You're like, ah, I know there's right. one over there. I Did you catch any bass that day? You know what, Jeff? Why don't you just stay out of it? <laughs> uh, it's cold water fishing, man. It was tough. It was pretty chilly that day. You know, the the bite slows down, and uh, you gotta you gotta be able to find the fish which uh, Ben and I learned this past weekend is tougher than it might sound like. You know, we had the electronics. We The lake we were on was not too big. We were able to, like, paddle around most of it. We couldn't cover all of it, obviously, but, like, we paddled around the entire lake. We Yeah, uh, we saw just about every little section of it, you know. Um, it's a tough one, man. Pat, you know, fishing this time of year, like, even early November can be tough, too. Um, for a lot of people, I, I can only speak from my personal experience, but uh, fishing in November and early December has not been the greatest for me throughout my career as an angler, with the exception of one walleye that I caught, oh gosh, in 2019. Remember that you called your wife right after? Yeah, I think it was 20, I think it was 2019. No, it was 2018. 2018 um november i just want to quickly answer a question here so, uh, actually yep. andrew is in the chat shout out to actually andrew hey buddy um and he's just asking it seemed like it was difficult to handle the muskie and release it from my kayak he's wondering if there's any equipment that i wish i had looking back on it i think it was just mostly my inexperience you know uh, I, I wish i had better hook cutters so i didn't have to get adam in there to, to help me it would have been nice to be able to manage the fish m- myself but 
always awesome having a team member there. I'll always recommend that uh, if you can ever get a team member to help you with muskie fishing. But yeah, honestly, I think it was just my inexperience and me fumbling with the net. I think uh, the only thing looking back on it that I wish I had was just more experience. And that's what I got. I learned something from it. So, so yeah, so moving on from that, um, the main topic, like I said, of, uh, of this episode is going to be cold water fishing. Um, it comes with a lot of challenges. One, trying to find the fish. Um, the fish this time of year are generally not where they were one month even ago or two or three months ago. Um, they're, they're hiding. They're going out to hide in their winter haunts, getting ready to uh, kind of not hibernate for the winter, but to really slow down uh, for the winter time. Um, but more importantly, if you're doing like a if you're in a kayak or if you're in a canoe, it comes with a lot of additional safety considerations that you need to think about uh, if you're going out in your kayak or canoe in this cold weather, um, particularly with respect to the water temperature and how quickly that cold water can really do damage to your body if you end up taking a swim. Um, so yeah. There's a lot of ways that you can protect yourself uh, from that risk. There's a lot of ways that you can mitigate the risk. And we're going to talk about some of that stuff today. So uh, I'll go first because uh, the, the main thing that I want to talk about is clothes that you want to be wearing if you're going out in this kind of uh, cold weather, uh, the air temperature being this low and the water temperature being this low. And the, the number one thing, in addition to your PFD, because that's a given, the, the next one is a float suit. Uh, sorry, not a float suit, a dry suit. A dry suit is what you want. Not a wet suit, not a float suit. You want a dry suit. And that is your absolute best protection against the elements, uh, even if even just sitting on top of your kayak, because it's going to keep your body dry. Um, there's a lot of different manufacturers out there that make really uh, really great dry suits. The main point being that if you end up in the water, a dry suit will keep that cold water from touching your skin. And that will, whatever you're wearing as your base layers to help insulate your skin against the outside of the dry suit, that's what's going to help keep the warmth inside of your body because that cold water will just sap the energy out of your body faster than you can blink. It is, it's not pleasant. Uh, I've never gone through the ice, but I've done, I've done some polar dips and it sucks. Like it sucks. So that's my that's my input on that one. Dry suits are your best friend if you're fishing this weather. Yeah, is that something? To add on to that, um, dry suits aren't the only option either. Uh, like they're they are like the probably the best option. Like you said, I would agree they're the best option you could get for trying to stay dry and stay warm. Mostly just dry out on the water, but there is the option of dry tops and dry pants where they're not a uniform suit. You do have that seam, so. If you do happen to go in, you are going to get wet around the seam and possibly take in a bit of water, but it's going to greatly increase your chances of getting back to shore if it is quite cold. Because um, something to remember is that it's not necessarily falling in the water that's the worry. You know, if you can get out of the water, that's great. It's that wind after that's hitting you uh, while you're wet, right? And that, that also will just suck the heat right out of you. Uh, one rule that, that kayakers... Uh, have thrown around or tend to throw around is the 120 degree rule which is uh if the if the water temperature and the air temperature uh add up to 120 degrees fahrenheit or higher then it's safe to go paddling without all of the extra gear once it gets below that threshold 
you should really start considering wearing cold water gear. And then, you know, if, if, if you can't really afford a dry top and, a, and dry pants, the next best, best option would be just like a raincoat, something splash proof, waterproof and rain pants just to keep that water off you and then have like a, a insulation layer underneath. And as far as clothing goes, just avoid cotton. You guys know this, cotton is rotten, cotton kills. When cotton gets wet, it doesn't insulate you and it actually, it will rob you of your body heat to try and dry that cotton out. So stick with nylons, polyesters, wool is amazing for insulation, but that's kind of my two cents on, on top of that. And not only will will keep you um, warm, but it doesn't burn. <laughs> That that was a bit of an inside joke that maybe we'll touch on a little bit later. I just well, how about to... we get into that? Because when you get beside the fire, let's say you fall into the water and you have to you have to go for yeah, a swim. Yeah, fair enough. And then you get fair to shore enough. and you start drying out your wool clothing. Well, wool will not burst into flames, but wool will singe and uh, and deteriorate. I recently put a big <laughs> slit in my socks on this past winter camping trip while I was trying to dry my socks out by the fire. And I just burned a hole right in the bottom. But I sewed them up. That's what happened. <laughs> ben, ben is forgetting a crucial point to that. And it's that while we were sitting there and he was laying his socks down on the rocks beside the fire, I said, Ben, I think that's probably, and I said this hesitantly because I know Ben knows everything. I didn't want to step on his toes, so to speak. But <laughs> for in his best interest, because I knew better, I was like, I think those are a little too close. And he's like, no, 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 it's fine. Wool doesn't burn. It's going to be okay. And I said, okay. And sure enough, uh, he learned the hard way. So that is. <laughs> I'm not awful. saying I was right. I'm just saying that wool will burn. So if you were under that impression, uh, maybe you should reconsider. But I, yeah, I, that, that, uh, that example is kind of specific, right? Like, and you weren't drying your socks out because you fell in the water. You were drying your socks out because your feet were sweaty in being in the boots all day. But, you know, even if, like, if you were in a camping situation, because we, we fall camp, we, we winter camp. And if we're paddling um, and we were to, like, we weren't, we weren't, we were at least two hours from, you know, like where I live, um, we were we weren't that close to something. So if if one of us did fall in the water, we would be in a situation where we would have to address it immediately where we were at. Um, so warming yourself by a fire would be one one thing that you could do. I know that's going to be a pretty like specific example. Not a lot of people are doing that. Not to say that nobody's doing that. Most people are going to be kayaking, canoe fishing, like closer to where they live, um, and probably be like you know close to other people like we were kind of in a unique situation there um in this example but um if so besides being dressed for the occasion and in the example that ben and i well, were in this weekend ben had brought with him um a few items that we could use to start a fire like if we needed to quickly that's another thing that's important if you're in a camping situation and you're not close to help you should have some tools and some things that you can use to, to warm your body up if you did go into the water. So that's something to consider as well. Like fire plugs, you've got waterproof fire plugs. Um, we keep a few lighters on us, but we also keep um, like a ferro rod that you can create a spark even if it's soaking wet. 
We also having, were, we had food with us too. We had hot food that we were able to prepare and we had food. Sure. Yeah, and we had also prepped a bunch of firewood that was ready to go if we needed to start a fire quick. Um, we were kind of prepared for that because we. So I think I think it's worth mentioning that um, we encourage the use of proper safety gear, but we don't have that stuff. Like I don't have a dry suit. I don't have uh, a float suit. Like I don't have these things. We have layers. We brought like wool layers, um, which is good. Wool will retain heat, body heat, even if it's wet. Um, so that's something, it's it's a good thing to have when you're on the water. You know, I think it's important that we just point out that if you are like taking these risks, uh, you you take them seriously. You really You really consider what worst case scenario could be. You make a plan to to you know do something about it if if that ends up being the case. Dude, I was gonna I was gonna wear my hat. I was gonna wear it. <laughs> Speaking of uh, safety, while we were camping this weekend, we had to wear these dumb hats. <laughs> hey man, it's not dumb if it uh, saves your life from getting shot by somebody out there doing hunting. It can we still look shotguns, dumb. We heard shotguns the whole time, so we were happy to have the hats on. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Let but, me turn um, this off. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, Adam. <laughs> I mean, I don't own a dry suit either. Um, I I just layer up with like a like a polyester and a wool blend base layer, and then I'll wear like some fleece and some other stuff over that, and then I'll wear my true timber rain suit that I use basically all year around because I don't have a float suit either for ice fishing. So that's that's how I dress for ice fishing as well. Basically, the same way I dress for ice fishing, I dress for kayak fishing in cold weather um i even wear my pfd on the ice if i'm really not sure of the ice and and that does that does a good job of keeping me warm and keeping me dry when i'm sitting in my kayak fortunately knock on wood i haven't uh taken a spill yet in this cold water but th that does a, a well enough job of of keeping me comfy when i'm out on the water this time of year there's another thing that i want to mention that's really important have what's called a float plan and that is basically just tell somebody who's not going with you where you're going, how long you're expecting to be out on the water, what time you're expecting to come back. That way, if something unfortunate does happen while you're out on the water and you don't come back at the time that you told that person, then they know that something might be wrong. They know where approximately where you're going to be or where you where you are so that they can get help and send somebody out there to go look for you because you might fall off your kayak or or you know capsize your canoe and not be able to get back on and the only thing that you can do is hold on to your kayak floating in the water you know you might have lost all your gear you might have had a phone out or something like that you can't call for help and you might end up fl be floating in the water for a while until somebody comes looking for you so it's really important to have that it's called a float a float plan yeah it's it's really important um, one other thing that I do carry with me, carry with me on these trips, and uh, I would say it's probably particularly important in in a cold water situation, um, is the satellite uh, communicators. Um, not a not a two way radio, but just like a messaging um, device, and one that's got like an SOS button. Uh, and I keep that with me at all times, whether it's like. On attached to my backpack if I'm like hiking, or I keep it with my tackle um, on the boat if we're if we're out fishing, um, because if something does happen and for whatever reason we can't get back to shore, at least I have something that I can use 
to call for help if, if we really needed it. So it's another thing to consider. You want to be able to, to get help if you're, especially if you're on your own. Yep. There's a lot of those on the market right now. And uh, I know one of the more mainstream ones is the Garmin and reach. And uh, that's one that I'll probably be looking at specifically for ice fishing. Uh, maybe not this year because they can, they're not super expensive, but they're not cheap either. And uh, they, you know, you could buy the unit and then you pay a subscription every month. And it's it basically exactly what Adam ta was talking about. Uh, which one do you have, Adam? I have the Spot Gen 4. Uh, so it's a little bigger. Uh, you can send you can send check-in messages. So you can preset messages just to send to whoever you want to, just to say, hey, I'm okay, everything's good, like everything's going to plan. Um, there's another option. You can send a message saying, hey, look, plans changed. I might not be home when I said I was going to be there. Um, and then there's the SOS button that you press if you're dying. Because <laughs> otherwise I hear it's expensive. Um, you don't want to press that for no reason. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the SOS button on a lot of those things is connected right to like 911 somewhere, and they'll get in touch and say, hey, we've received an SOS beacon from somebody at this like a GPS coordinate, and they'll send somebody out there, whether that's via road or via air and like a helicopter or something, if you're in the backcountry like these two guys often are. Um, yeah, that's another really, really good tool to have for safety, uh, not just for cold water kayak fishing, even in the summertime. If you guys are out in the backcountry somewhere and you don't have, like, like you said, Adam, you don't have cell signal, and I don't know, you like fall and break a leg or something like that, and you can't walk. Uh, it's very, really, really important. Communication is super important to have when you're out there, unless you're specifically trying to get away from communication. But that's another story. <laughs> yeah, actually, our one buddy, Ad or Justin, brings a, uh, a device with him in the backcountry just so he can message the wife every single night and say we're safe, we're at camp. Um, and that also kind of records our path too, right? You can go back and look at it and see where we've checked in. So then we have, you know, we were at this campsite, we have the coordinates and everything. So if we ever want to return there. Um... I was just going to say, it'll throw your position on a map so people can see, you can actually have people like follow where you're going and stuff. It's kind of cool. Oh, that's really cool. Another thing I wanted to mention too about staying warm um, specifically pertains to wearing your pfd of course anytime you're out in a kayak or canoe you don't want to go out without a pfd but it comes with an added bonus of if you think about a pfd it's made of a lot of thick foam and that foam can also help to keep you warm i mean that stuff is just crazy insulators so that's just a, another good reason to wear your pfd when you're out on the water especially in the cold water uh, even... Also a great place to uh, keep your snacks too. You can just tuck your snacks down in your PFD like yeah. this and like you have them ready when you're out on the water and it's great. You stay warm. You need fuel in your body to stay warm. Like we can't skip that, you know? Yeah. If you're out on the water ben, all day, ben, you definitely... Ben needs fuel in his body to stay warm. He needs fuel in his body to stay full. He needs fuel in his body not to be grumpy. He needs fuel in his body to tolerate me. Ben needs fuel in his body all the time. <laughs> I get hangry. Yeah, yeah he does. <laughs> so can we start calling it the snack best then? I'm sure. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that, that's call, an army thing. Calling what this? Calling your, what your the PFD snack vest. Uh, oh, snack vest. Yeah. I thought you said fest, like. Vest, uh, no. Yeah. no, snack <laughs> snack vest. If any of you guys are in the military, that's a, that's a common joke when we're talking about our tactical vests. Sometimes we call it the snack vest because in the pouches, we snacks, especially when you're out in the field. But um, yeah, another uh, speaking on that of fueling your body when you're out on the water, 
in whatever craft you're on, it's also really important to bring water. I mean, a lot of people go out and they think it's so cold, I'm not going to sweat, so I don't need to drink as much, but that is actually not true at all. Um, you sweat just as much in the cold as you do, well, maybe not just as much, but you also sweat in the cold when you're out, you know, doing any kind of physical activity. And it's really important that you keep your body hydrated um, because if you're dehydrated and you're cold, it, stuff is going to go south a lot faster than if you're keeping your body hydrated and you're cold. Yeah, it may seem a little backwards, but like drinking water will keep you warm. Um, of course, too much water won't help, but you do definitely need that water. Yeah. Uh, to regulate your temperature. But if you can bring a tumbler with like uh, some warm liquids, like, I don't know, some hot chocolate or something like that, mo most people are going to bring coffee, but uh, caffeine is actually not, not the best to uh, help you when you're in a really cold situation. Um, you want warm liquids, but caffeine is, is going to, it's basically a diuretic. It's going to make you pee a lot more and that's going to dehydrate you faster. But I... I usually bring coffee with me. So, I mean, it's <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. And, and of course, warm liquids are going to help keep you warm. I mean, it's going to help uh, raise your core temperature a little bit and just good all around. Hot chocolate is a good one. Um, so if you guys are okay with it, I, I think we should stop talking about hot chocolate. And I think we should get into the nitty gritty of cold water fishing. I think, like, I would love to talk about some baits that you guys use in the in the in like this time of season or this time of year, um, some things that you guys like using. Uh, so maybe Ben, do you have any particular baits and like ways you use them differently in the fall? Uh, not particularly. I, uh, I definitely don't have enough experience fall fishing. I want to do more of it. Um, but I, when I'm looking for baits, I'm looking for something that I can slow down with, uh, something that I can fish bottom usually as well. Uh, and that's kind of my strategy. Uh, jigs, white jigs, fish slow, fish slow. Yeah, <laughs> my go-to is just like a little three-inch swim bait because just there's so many ways you can rig it. Uh, a soft plastic swim bait, that is. Um, there's just so many ways you can use them, whether it's on a jig head, you can fish them deep, you can put them on a uh, like a keel-weighted swim bait hook, and then you can fish it shallow and you can still you can just slow roll that thing up into the shallows over weeds, any weeds that are still alive this time of year, or you can just drop, like, you know, you can cast it out, let it go right to bottom, and you can just slow roll that thing in. And if you've got a good one, that tail is still going to kick. It's still is going to have a really good action, but it's going to move really slow. You can also do some really, really slow, intentional paused snap jigging, where it's like, you know, you cast your bait out, you let it go right to bottom, you do a quick snap up, and then keep your rod tip high. And instead of the bait going up and down again, snap it up and keep your rod tip high. Your bait's going to snap up and then kind of slowly fall back down to the bottom. And you'll know that your bait is back on the bottom again when your line goes slack. You know, that's, that's another good technique, but you know, you want to do it very, very slowly and very intentionally. It's not like summer jigging when you're like snapping that thing up, snapping that thing up, snapping it up. It's like you snap it, you let it sl dr slowly drift down to the bottom give it a second to rest on bottom while it kicks up some of the silt and dust and stuff and bring it up again. That's a, that's a good way. I've caught some bass this time of year doing that. Um, I, uh, because like most, not, well, yeah, I, I would say most of my fishing happens on canoe trips. Um, 
I've learned over the last couple of years to really pare down my tackle box. And that's forced me to use baits that are more versatile. So things that I can use for, like I can work them differently, uh, I can rig them differently, um, and just get more uses out of, out of like baits. So that's actually carried over into cold water fishing for me as well. Um, a bait that I love year round is a jerk bait. And you can work that bait like you can you can rip 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 or like if you've got a good suspending jerk bait you can rip rip pause and you can let that pause for 10 seconds it'll just sit there and just shimmer bat or like whatever bass bat walleye i mean whatever i've caught i've caught bass and walleye jerk walleye oh walleye uh, <laughs> <laughs> um i didn't need that ben um <laughs> <laughs> but uh a jerk bait is one that i that i like to use uh in cold water as well um but i use it year round so that's a good bait for me like to have on canoe trips because it's so versatile um and a bait that did really well for me this year uh is a fluke and i mean you can rig that so many different ways as well it's a soft plastic jerk bait you can work it just like a jerk bait um except in the summertime you work it through like weed beds and thick slop and uh like ben and i over the weekend on our uh camping trip we were just putting flukes on a jig head and that's what we were jigging with one of the problems with that that we were running into um was when we did stop to jig it was so windy and this is one of the problems of like with being in a canoe or a kayak especially this time of year you get a lot of wind uh, a lot of windy days it's really hard to jig when <laughs> you're being blown around in the wind um another thing we were trying was while we were paddling like using the sonar to mark bottom and try and find fish uh ben would like be in the bow casting but when you're moving and trying to jig like it's really it's so it's really challenging yeah. um that well, it's it was, tricky to it was, like see it's tricky to see how your line's behaving and, and where your bait is when you're moving it's almost impossible yeah and then you have the waves on top of that playing with your line and yeah, yeah. that was tricky Especially using that technique that you were talking about, Jeff, where you snap it and then you let it drop. Um, That's exactly you, what, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 that, that was tough. So, um, you know, maybe maybe the jig and the fluke wasn't uh, the right bait for that, that application, but it was a learning experience for us. I think we learned, I certainly learned, I learned to read my fish finder better because I kept, <laughs> I kept seeing marks. I was like, ah. Ben, do you want to look at this thing? Like, I'm not really sure. If it, I'm not, I don't know. Like, because the fish were showing up, it looked like below bottom. I was seeing, like, they weren't quite the, you know, classic hook, uh, but very close to it. And they were coming up as, like, yellow uh, color, and the bottom is brown. And it looked different, but, like, one one part of me, you know, who's, like, trying to learn and is not that confident is, like, I don't know. Is that a fish? Isn't it a fish? I don't know. Like, and I would ask Ben, and he's like, I don't know, let's just keep paddling. And so, you know, <laughs> so, it's kind of a gog show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what I learned from fishing that weekend uh, was, so we were we were paddling around trying to find the fish. I, I looked it up online, and it says, you know, walleye, they're going to migrate together. When you find the fish, you're going to know you find the fish because there's just going to be tons of marks. You're not going to mistake it. So we're paddling around, and so we're paddling around me, trying I, to find I shared... these fish. Oh, sorry. Shut You're up. telling a story. I didn't know. Sorry. You guys. 
We just talked about this. Yeah, I don't know. One one bait that hasn't been mentioned yet is a tube. Man, tubes. Tubes are what killer. Are you, what are you, 80? Tubes, what? dude, tube? no way, man. Tubes are the oh, tubes no. are the deal, bro. Oh <laughs> man, I don't use tubes enough. And it's just it's one of those things that I have a bunch of and I I never use them. But when I do use them, I always catch fish with them. Whether it's walleye, largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, like it's it's crazy why I don't use them more. I don't I don't know. That the biggest walleye I ever caught out of my kayak, I had Jerry rigged a tube onto a football jig and I was just dragging al- along the bottom of Lake Ontario and I caught like a 32 to 34 inch walleye. I mean, it was the first one I'd ever caught and I didn't even know how to handle it. Honestly, I thought I had caught a lake trout was fighting so hard and I've never caught a lake trout, so I don't actually know what it feels like to <laughs> to fight one. But like everything that I've read and that I've watched on YouTube of people fighting lake trout, like that's how this wall I was fighting it. And it was crazy. Um, but uh, I like a tube catches everything. A tube will catch any fish. I don't know. It's we haven't mentioned it yet. So I'd actually like to take a moment and talk about that. That's a really funny uh, concept. Baits that we we have a lot of that we never use or we've never caught fish with. Like, do you have a bait that you bought because you're like, oh, this is going to be great. And it just sits in your tackle box. You never use it. Or if you when you do use it, you never catch fish with it. Do you have anything like that, Ben? I don't know if I thought it was going to be great. I just I just really wanted to catch a fish on it, it was that topwater rat. I've not caught a fish on that yet. <laughs> a longer uh, hunt phantom spider. Man, oh, that, that thing cool had catch. that thing had so much craze and so much hype, and every single time I've used it, like nothing, man, nothing. <laughs> I didn't catch us. I've never caught a fish with it, and I I actually use it a lot. And I'd like I would throw that thing. I would work it the same way that I would work like a frog over lily pads, and maybe that's my problem. But that's how I watched everybody else use it and catch like monsters, and nothing i'd throw a frog out there i'd at least get a couple blow-ups but i'd you know muff the hook set and still not get the fish but at least i had some action on a frog every time i use a spider zilch man nothing for me so uh, kingston dunk mentioned in the uh, chat there that uh fall lakers have been smashing the sibyl vibrato so i did a quick search on it because it rang a bell and uh do you guys know what it is have you guys ever fished with one i've never fished with one but i've seen them it's like a little blade bait yeah it, it that looks, looks like it, an awesome ice it, fishing bait. Yeah, it and looks a good like cold a, water bait. It looks like a spoon that you that you jig with um, through the ice, but the the where you hook it is in the middle, and obviously it's not mm. like a big lead weight. It's it's like a it's like a blade, blade bait. Right, <laughs> it's a blade bait. And Derp. speaking of blade baits, that's actually a bait that I did pick up that I've been wanting to fish more of, especially with cold water. It's supposed to be you know a cold water producer, blade baits, but I just. I always forget to bring it out and throw it. I always think of a blade bait as just a nice fishing bait, but yeah, it ain't. And that Sibyl vibrato, I've I've seen people just crush big fish with that through the ice too. Yeah. Cool. Not just open I water. Have to tie one on. Isn't it funny, like how some baits, like you just see other people like crushing with them, and you try them, and you're just like, this is just not for me i don't i don't really get it yeah what for me yeah i see you crush fish on the whopper plopper and i cannot catch a fish on the uh well that's your region uh because 
I, I crush fish on a whopper plopper. And when we were in Frontenac Provincial Park, I was throwing it around. I was so confused. I was like, what? There's no fish in this lake. What is happening? This thing gets crushed. Like, I can, I can guarantee every time. And I don't know, it just wasn't working. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's regional. Maybe depending on your location, like, for whatever reason, different fish are eating different things. I mean, uh, that seems obvious now that I say that out loud. So, uh it wasn't always like that here, though. It wasn't because the, the first year that I started kayak fishing in 2018, I remember, I can't remember if it was 2018 or 2019 that I got my, my very first Whopper Plopper. <laughs> it was like, man, going to the store and spending $20 at the time to me, like spending $20 on a bait was like, oh my God, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. Who spends this much money on fishing tackle? Anyways. That year I bought that Whopper Plopper, man, I crushed largemouth bass. Like they, it's like they couldn't get enough of it. But since that year, I might've caught three fish with one. And it, it's just, it's been, it's been terrible here for, for, to be honest with you, top water for me this year and last year was not on for me, but that's just me. Yeah. Same. Actually, I didn't do very well on top water this year either. Even the Whopper Plopper, um, I caught a few on it, but it wasn't producing like it normally does. I'm telling you, man, that little three-inch swim um, so bait, that was the killer the... for me. What's that? That three-inch swim bait, it was, it was the killer for me. This summer, Wait, caught... which, which three-inch swim bait? Which one? Oh, the Limestone Lures Ripper. Oh, shout out, shout <laughs> In out. In the salt and pepper color, <laughs> just saying. I can't make any baits right now because my plastic is, is uh, non-existent um, for me. But uh, hopefully I'll have that sorted out by next summer. Or at least by the winter, because I have some ice fishing molds that I need to make too. But that's, uh, that's for another podcast. But I anyways. Some, I have some right here, right here. Oh, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, do it. For a cheap, for a cheap soft plastic mold, man, that bait is a killer. So what I was going to say was that, that bait this summer, whether I'm in my kayak or my boat, doesn't matter. That bait has caught me more fish in the last, I don't know, 10 months than every other lure in my tackle box combined. I, Adam, I kid do you, you not. A, do you have a lure that's like that right now for you? Where it's, it's the one that seems to be producing? Or is that your secret? Uh, the, that was the secret lure, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't talk yeah. about it. Tony, I don't know if Tony's still here, so I can't. Uh... <laughs> no, actually, this year, so the last couple of years, I've had I've had flukes because I really like a jerkbait, uh, and that's not a, you know, a dirty joke. Don't, you know, keep your head out of the gutter. Uh, <laughs> I really like a jerkbait, and I loved the idea of a soft plastic jerkbait that you could rig weedless because that's the problem with jerkbaits, right? They've got three treble hooks on them. You got to use them. And I like talking about buying expensive baits. Uh, I bought the Vision 110s, the um, Mega Bass, which for the record, I love. I have a perch one and I have actually caught a bunch of fish, walleye and bass. I love those jerk baits and I still have them. So I'm not upset that I spent 20 bucks on them. But um, the fluke this year, like killed it. And I'm, I'm really happy about that. I caught my PB bass. I caught a bunch of fish. Uh, I was out fishing with Mel, my wife. She caught a muskie on a fluke. Like it was just, it did really well for me this year. So I was, uh, I was pretty happy about that because it's something that I've wanted to like make work for me, and it's something that hasn't worked for me in the past. So, uh, but back to baits that we bought 
and never used or didn't catch fish. Uh, Ben's seen my tackle collection. I have a lot of those. <laughs> there are quite a few baits. Um, like I spent the first two years, the like when I started getting into fishing, uh, which was a, like maybe five years ago now. Um, I spent the first two years like watching Guggen Squad videos, being like, oh no, I gotta have that lure, and oh, I gotta have that lure. And I just like bought all the lures I thought were gonna catch fish. So I have a bunch like big swim baits. I've got lipless crank baits. I've got all kinds of like, I just, you name it. I've got all kinds of crap that I've just never caught any fish with, but I really would like to. Maybe one year I'll just fish with tackle that I've never caught fish on and I'll make myself, a, oh, a jig, a bass jig. I have never caught a fish on a bass jig. And that's something I've always wanted to do. Like I literally bought a rod. I bought a flipping and pitching rod last year. Cause I'm like, I, I want to make it happen. And it still hasn't. So um, um, I just, I just want, wah! I just want one of those. I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I have, <laughs> I have like, I have got a couple of really great jigs. And my favorite one is one that I got from Kicker Custom Lures. A shout out to Steve Pixley, who makes them. He's a local guy to the Kingston area. And man, I've used them so much. And I, I too have never caught a fish with a bass jig. Um, weighted, weighted Texas rigged creatures and, and craws and all that stuff. No problem. Bass jigs, not a chance. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to work them. I guess like I I've watched so much stuff. I've watched so much stuff to try and figure it out. And, uh, I just, I just can't, just can't make it happen for me. Maybe next year. Yeah. That's what I keep telling myself too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so man. now that we've segued away from uh, cold water baits and cold water fishing, let's try and get back into that because that's the, oh, yeah, the main topic. Way. How about we go back to the story that I was cut off on, talking about how, what we learned from cold water fishing this past uh, weekend, Adam and I. Did we start so that? So we were out in the boat. No, we started it and we didn't finish it. <laughs> Anyways, we're trying to find the fish and Adam's saying, no, we should stop here. I, and I'm like, no, man. We're supposed to find the fish. We're only seeing one fish on the fish finder. Let's keep going. We're supposed to see tons, right? So Adam listened to me, and uh, we just kept paddling around, paddling around, into the wind, with the wind, into the wind, with the wind, just trying to find all the fish. And then uh, we get back, and Adam's talking to our friend Jake, who's familiar with the lake. And what does Jake say, Adam? (laughs) It's like, you're not going to see the fish on the fish finder this time of year. You won't see them. Um, he said, you just have to, like, he, he kind of gave us some pointers of some spots that we should go check out. He was talking about sand flats and, uh, he was talking about, um, basins. Yeah. Well, steep walls, he, he talked about basins as well. Um, like walleye holes, he called them, but, um, he, he suggested we go to those places and, um, and we fish them. And of course we, we didn't do that at all. Cause Ben didn't want to do that. So but you know, I talked to him afterwards, and he said, "Yeah, like you, you, you gotta, you gotta go to those spots where you think they should be, and just jig them, and they will come. And especially with the wind, you know, as long as it's not too strong, you kind of let that drift you, and you just fish the bottom of a flat. So, uh, anyways, yeah, I, once again, I don't know why I, I'm just too easygoing. I suppose I'm listening to Ben. He's like, no, we gotta keep paddling, man. We're gonna find the fish. We're gonna find the fish. Just gotta look for them." And uh, we paddled that whole damn lake and yeah. caught nothing the whole week. 
Uh, yeah, and Into the Wind 2 is so miserable because it was cold wind. Like, it's like maybe two degrees out. It's gusty. Like, there was one point on Saturday where, like, we were, like, this close to, like, white caps. It was, uh, it was yeah. so miserable. It was starting to break for sure, yeah. That sucks. Well, <laughs> we learned. Uh, we learned. Yeah. At least you guys had <laughs> nice warm socks, except for Ben. Oh, they were they were on fire. They were, <laughs> they were on fire. They were too warm. By the yeah. way, you sold the hole back together. How was that to walk on in your boot afterwards? That could not have been comfortable. It actually wasn't too bad, surprisingly. Um, yeah, it, I I thought that it would feel a lot bigger in my boot than it was, and no, I I could have kept them on all weekend, but I just wore them for the rest of the night and switched them out the next day, but. When I saw that Instagram story, I was like, oh my God, he's going to have blisters if he puts them back on his feet and wears them in his boots. There's no way. There's no way that you won't have blisters with that like giant lump of sewn up wool <laughs> and like right in the middle of the arch of your foot too, right? Like based yeah. on what, hey, well, uh, as far as I could tell. For the record, I have great footage of Ben doing that. So when the video comes out that I'm working on right now, it's going to be very entertaining watching him try and sew his sock back together, I promise. Uh, yes, Tacklebox Tony says, Flukes are overly versatile on, on a jig head, weedless as a trailer, crawl it on bottom, top water, open water. Yes, that is true. Drop shot. Yeah. Yeah, and, th and that you know what? Drop shot was going to be the next one that I talked about for, for cold water. Um, and you just you can't go wrong with... A drop shot really any time of year but especially if you're trying to fish like a little bit deeper and slower in in this temperature of water it's so easy you just drop it down you let that bait hit the bottom and then you just you don't even have to lift the bait up you just drop it down so that the bait uh sorry the weight not the bait you just drop your rod tip a little bit so that the the bait moves up and down without moving the weight so it kind of stays in that same area like you know a foot or two or a foot and a half off the bottom it's like the perfect strike shell, a strike zone this time of year for a lot of species of fish, specifically smallmouth bass. Drop shot is one that, uh, when I started fishing, it was one that I used a lot. And it's because it was catching fish for me. It's a good presentation. You can, you can work it fast. You can work it slow. I've actually, so maybe this is weird. I'm sure it is. But I had a lot of luck catching trout on a drop shot, like in rivers. And I, that seems bizarre, but it totally worked for me. I would just use like split shot. Cause I'm usually fishing like, you know, creeks that are like one and two feet deep. And uh, I would just wait it. So this split shot was just barely bouncing off bottom. And I would have the worm maybe like six inches up or so from that six or eight inches. And uh, it worked for me quite a bit. I don't know if drop shots in rivers are like a thing, but <laughs> I was doing it. <laughs> I would say uh, that it's probably difficult uh, depending on the current, right? You, you'd have to have, if you're trying to keep it in one spot, you'd have to have a pretty beefy weight on the bottom to keep that bait in one spot. Well, Otherwise, the, I was, the current I was, is going to pick it up, right? Well, that's what I wanted, though. I wanted it to drift. I didn't want it to sit in one spot. Um, trout in rivers are usually looking for food that's flowing past. So you don't really want it to just sit. They'll be like, what the heck is that? I remember hearing somewhere, um, and I could be wrong, but I think that drop shots were actually originally developed for lake trout fishing. And then the bass anglers picked it up. I could be wrong on that, but I remember hearing somebody 
say that. And it kind of makes sense, right? You're, you're trying to get deep for Lakers. That's the presentation that would do it, right? But yeah. I don't know. I, I, but I think, pretty sure that's what I heard. Maybe somebody in the chat can back me up there, but I think drop shots were originally developed for lake trout fishing and then picked up by bass anglers. Uh, that's a pretty interesting Maybe. way of creek fishing for trout, Adam. That's a, <laughs> it, never, it never occurred to me to use a drop shot in that fashion, especially with a lot lighter, uh, lighter of a weight with the intention of the current picking it up and just kind of yeah. letting the water do all the work, right? Yeah, you just but, cast uh, it downstream and let the current take it. Uh, I, I think it's a similar story with a whopper plopper. Didn't that used to be like a musky bait? And they just yes. like uh, sized it yeah. down? River to Sea had the, still the enormous, the enormous whopper ploppers for musky. Yeah, there's still, there are some uh, baits out there uh, that are being made. Actually, Dadson has some, I think they're called the Bone Saw. Um, and they, I think they're like carbon fiber, if I'm not, they look like they're carbon fiber, the baits, but they're like, there's only like six in existence and they're being passed around amongst, I'm not supposed to talk about this actually, sorry. Never mind. Oh, it's too late now. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> Spill the beans. Jeez. I mean, you just talked about it live Secrets. on YouTube. Secrets. So yeah, yeah you should be hey. musky bait, for sure. Here's uh <laughs> Ben's out of the club. Uh, here's, now. A, here, yeah, here's, a, <laughs> here's the reason if you're still here and you were questioning why you're even watching this live stream is because you're gonna get little tidbits every once in a while you're not supposed to. So shh. I didn't know that Ben was part of the musky Illuminati. <laughs> the Muscanati. He's not. I don't know. No. He's not. Illuma Muskies? Muscanati? I don't know. Anyways. <laughs> We're playing with words here. I think it's going to get dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so back. Uh, I wanted, oh, I was wondering, uh, Ben, do you, like, I, when does musky season close? December 15th. So you plan on getting out? Like, between I'm, now and then? I'm hoping to. It definitely depends on the weather and the wind and temperatures, but I'm going to try. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what else too. Another interesting uh, fact about. Gosh, what am I trying to say here? An interesting fact about species seasons, and that is lake trout in Lake Ontario. Right now, lake trout in Lake Ontario are closed. They closed. Uh, what was it? September September fifteenth or something like that. What I didn't realize is that they opened back up on December first, zone twenty. So depending on the weather. Uh, if I don't have my boat winterized by December 1st and Lake Ontario isn't frozen, uh, maybe, maybe get my boat out to go try and catch some lake trout on Lake Ontario. Sign me up. Yeah. Sign me up. Well, we'll see what happens. They're predicting that this is going to be an early and cold winter for Canada this year, but... I don't know how much I trust the weatherman right now because they have a really hard time predicting what the weather was yesterday. So I don't know how they're possibly predicting what the weather's going to be days and weeks and months from now. But um, I don't know. As I understand it, planes actually do a lot of meteorological data collection, um, especially during the last two years during COVID when there wasn't as many travelers, there wasn't as much air traffic. Therefore, there wasn't as much data coming back into the you know centers that do all that data processing. That's why the weather predictions have been a little bit funky. It seems like it seems like they're starting to bounce back a little bit and get some better weather predictions. I don't know if any of what I just said is true, but that's what I read. And 
it makes sense it makes sense to me it makes sense to me so you know take that with a grain of salt um but that that sounds about right i have a question where where like maybe it's me but where have you been that the weather predictions have ever been reliable ever i like i i have learned to rely not to rely on the weather um I just bring everything because I feel like I've been let down many times and it's just not worth it. I, they suck. They, they suck. And that's, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. They suck two times. It's true. It's true. But you know, especially this, this time of year, like, I mean, it's all I have to go on, right? Trying to figure out uh, when the best time to winterize my boat is. And I'm really hoping that the, the weather prediction for the next week and a half are, are accurate because I'm kind of basing my winterization on that. <laughs> but we'll okay, see. So here's a, here's a little thing then. I, if you can, I want, I want to know the outcome of that, what they're predicting versus what it is. And we'll talk about that in the next podcast, because I have a feeling they're going to be way wrong, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll let I'm you know wrong. on Sunday. There's been a few times uh, where the, where it's been, like dangerously accurate, um, which was fortunate because it was a day that I picked to go out that was super calm on my kayak. And it was probably, it was last year, it was probably the calmest day that I've ever been on the Bay of Quinty. And I was out there on my kayak. It was just absolutely gorgeous. Um, it was very likely the same reason that Ben caught that muskie that day. It's just pure luck. Maybe. It's entirely possible. <laughs> But Ben hit no, uh, no, no reaction from Ben. He was totally distracted there. I was, yeah, by a comment from one of our viewers. Sorry, I, I zoned out. You, you missed your joke on me. <laughs> well, I got it, and everyone else got it. So that's all that matters. Um, asking about some crappy spots. So Boris asks, "Hi everyone, I'm new to Kingston area. Started fishing just recently. Where can I find crappy within a reasonable distance around Kingston?" Um, we'll, we'll send you some pins and some, uh, coordinates. No, 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 for real. That's a, that's a legit <laughs> question. And it's, it's important that people learn about the resources that are available to them to help them learn this stuff, especially to learn Agreed. on their own. So Boris, I'm gonna actually can, cause Ben, you seem to be pretty active in the chat. Can you get the link for the fish on and put that in the chat for Boris? And what I'll do is I'll I put it. The Ontario like, Fish yeah, Online. Yeah, yeah. So the the Fish Online app is a is a website. It's a web app developed by the Ontario government, and it has no an, affiliation with us. No, none. Um, <laughs> I just realized it didn't even occur to me. But anyways, it's a it's a resource that has been compiled by the Ontario government, and it has, oof, man, almost every lake you could think of. It has fish data on what kind of fish are in that lake. So you can go there, you can, you can you just type in your address or whatever, and it'll center in on, in our case, it'll be in Kingston. And um, you can go around and you can explore all the little bodies of water. It doesn't matter whether it's a big one or whether it's a small one. There's a pretty good chance that it'll have some data on there of what fish are in that lake. And um, that's probably the number one, the number one resource you can use to try and find out what fish are where. And it's, it's mostly accurate. It's mostly accurate. Um, something, okay, 
some personal opinions. <laughs> well, you know, like there's there's a, honestly, there's a lot of lakes. There's a lot of lakes in South Frontenac that have crappy, and I would say there's more lakes in South Frontenac that have crappy than that don't have crappy. Honestly, um, start looking in some of the shallower areas. I don't. Are you looking for something from the shore? Because shoreline spots are really hard to give away, especially online. You know, because that spot's going to be flooded, and you're not going to enjoy it if I do tell you those spots. Uh, but they do Thank kind of exist though. during certain times of the year. But uh, if you are, yeah, if you're fishing from shore, it's tough. Try and find some bridges. Um, man, you know, give, it's, it's tough you to one. say online, Boris. I'll give you one because it's it's already a really popular spot, and you may or may not know about it already. Uh, the Kingston Mills Locks is a really popular place for shore fishing. There's a lot of different areas around there. I, I made a video about it. I mean, when I went and made that video, I didn't catch any fish, but I mean, I've caught lots of fish there before, just not in that and, video. Uh, Colonel By Lake, which is the top part of Kingston Mills, does have black crappie in there You'll, too. Yeah, and I've caught um, I've caught crappie from the dock at the top of the lakes. Uh, but honestly, not, Boris, not big if you, or in any quantities, but they're, they're they come in there every once in a while. If you can, if you can just drive around um, South Frontenac, even just look on a map. Honestly, just try and find places that are close to the road by shore, and I'm sure you'll stumble across a few. There's quite a few. You'll see people usually parked there. Actually, uh, if you go around at the right time of day, you'll see people already there fishing. Um, so that's about the best I can do for you, Boris. Maybe if you direct message us, we might be able to give you a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's like tough Ben said. Blowing up a spot, you know. Yeah, like Ben said, it's it's really it's really dangerous to give out, uh, you know, no, short short fishing enough. spots. Online. Boris is trying to sabotage us. He's trying to sabotage us. He's trying to get us to say things we're not supposed to say. This is it's an inside job. Yeah, Boris, but... we're on to you. Ben's, <laughs> Ben's already spilled the beans about musky baits. Now we're talking about shore fishing spots. Jeez. Oh man, this this podcast fishing community is, is going to hate us. It's garbage. <laughs> it's garbage. In the next episode, we're going to talk about all the spots that nobody wants you to know about. Tune in for that one. No, we're not. We're not going to do that. <laughs> With the, we'll just paint uh, a target on all of our backs. We won't be able to. Sh <laughs> we won't be able to go fishing because people will try and kill us. Yeah, we'll do the we'll do the podcast from a bunker. We'll get a bunker. <laughs> we'll ask we'll ask the prime minister if we can borrow one of his. <laughs> That's the problem is that we got to be out on the water and still be safe on the water, right? Yeah, I still want to go out and fish. We can't be in this bunker all the time. That's true. That's true. We should we should make an underwater layer, a layer, and then we surrounded by liquid hot magma. Oh, that's bad for fish. That's bad for liquid fish. Liquid hot magma. Liquid hot. No, what have you ever watched Discovery Channel? There's all kinds of things that live at the bottom of the sea, right? Right, right, right by those geysers. No, what I was going to say was in in our lair, we can make our stocked ponds that we were talking about in the last episode. Oh, dude. Yes. Yes. I'll have yes. my crappie pond. Ben will have his musky pond and and die of hunger. And you and I can just fish crappie and walleye and and live happily ever after together. In our lair. Yeah. No, no, Jeff, you're wrong. Or See, not... I must eat like the muskie in order to catch the muskie. So I'll eat what the muskie are eating. I won't die of hunger. <laughs> uh, all right, this has fallen off the rails. Yeah, we're, we're, we're getting way off track. I think uh, <laughs> we've gone on for like an hour and 12 minutes now. Um, 
I want to thank all of you who have <laughs> stuck around to watch this live stream. Definitely. We really appreciate you guys here and, and chatting with us. It's, it's been a blast uh, for the first official episode of the fish on podcast. This is, this is really great. Any, any sure. closing remarks there, Adam and Ben? No, nope. he's probably going to say something. You don't have to pee really bad, Adam. No, I did that before. Uh, I, I got that out. So smart. I'm going to have right. to install like a urinal down here though. I'm in my office. I got to put something in here so I can, uh, you know, take care of those problems We're right here with you guys, like live, live urination. You could just cut a hole in your seat and put a bucket underneath it. Like just turn it into oh, a Cal, toilet. Let's get a catheter. Okay, we got to close this. We got to close this. Right, <laughs> this is we're getting, bad. We're getting <laughs> off the rails here. <laughs> all right. That's going to be it. The uh, live stream is about to end. And thank you all for watching. If you're watching the live stream, if you're watching this uh, later on when it's published on YouTube as a VOD, thank you for watching. And as always, if you're listening to this in your car while you're packing your gear for tomorrow morning to go fishing, whenever it is, on your favorite live uh, streaming podcast streaming software, live streaming podcast streaming, on your favorite podcast streaming software platform, whatever it is, we got to end this. This we'll is just going, this is going downhill fast. <laughs> and on that note, thanks for watching. And uh, we'll see you in the next podcast. Be good. And, uh, you know, tight lines, Be all good. that good stuff. Catch you, later. you behave yourself. Behave yourself. You heard Adam. Bye. That's right.